Welcome to the Gold Standard here from the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall, and you can follow me on Twitter.com at Braden Gall. And I'm Michael Gallagher with Nashville Hockey Now. You can follow me on Twitter at MG Sports underscore. Special guest joining us on the pod today, Clay Brewer of Nashville Hockey Now. Works with Michael over there on the website. Uh, all things contracts and Russian. Clay, welcome to the show. How are you, sir? Thanks for having me. Great, great to be here. Okay, so the Predators have a few Russians, and you apparently can speak Russian. Please say bad words in Russian for the audience, please. <laughs> I don't know how raunchy you want me to be, but I, I, I could say a few. I might save it for, uh, for another day, right? But yeah, my wife is Armenian, and so uh, she speaks Russian fluently. That's her first language. And then I grew up playing hockey, and so I've always had a passion for languages and just kind of kept following it. And it's become more and more relevant, so that's where we're at. All right. Well, you got to give us something. Give it. Give, give us. Right. Give us something in Russian. Come on. Uh, <laughs> that is an entire sentence. That in, that was an entire sentence in Russian. No, that's just pretty much the F word. <laughs> like, so, like, if you like, I don't know if you drop something or, or anything, it's like, oh shit, or something like that. That's kind of what it would be. I like. I'm gonna listen for that next time I'm in the locker room and Trenton's not not in a good mood. <laughs> All right. Well, give it to me one more time. Bliat. All right. Okay. All right. Well, there you go. I was expect- all right. I was expecting a whole sentence, but I got all I wow. needed in one word. That was great. <laughs> I got to tease the audience to keep coming back, right? Yes, yes. Well, I mean, it is a fascinating culture considering how they come overseas and how they come to this country. They, I mean, they're very, very uh, proud of their country and their heritage, of course, but also uh, always a little hesitant with, with U.S. media and Canadian media. So I'm sure it is very helpful considering there's uh, Yakov Trenin and now, of course, Yaroslav Askarov that are in the locker room to hear somebody come up to him and actually be able to ask him a question in Russian. Right. I, I love it. So they're, they're in training camp. I spoke with Afanasyev, Askarov, and Svechkov and all of them. They're really surprised to to hear their native tongue in Nashville. So that's kind of a nice little in with them. But um, right now, it's definitely tough with obviously world events going on. Um, you don't know what's what right now. And so to be able to connect to them, know that they're normal people, they're not their government. They're not whatever. Um, they're just here to play hockey and and be with their families is the biggest thing. So I think it's nice to have a group of Russians too together. I think that really lets all of them open up, especially this summer. All right. So we've got a lot of stuff planned today on the show. You are a contracts guy, and we're going to look at every single UFA and RFA on this team. We're also going to talk about UC Saros and Kevin Lankin in contracts as well. Uh, of course, Lankin is, is in there as a free agent as well. So we're going to spend a lot of time today sort of looking at where these players are contract wise. I guess we have to include the Tyson Berry saga in this conversation as well. We'll take a quick look at the, at the junior uh, world juniors that are taking place. The USA of course has made it into the final four. Canada has not. So there's that. We'll get to that at the end. Uh, but obviously the Predators stopped their slide and still continue to dominate and own the Chicago Blackhawks. So we'll have some fun. But I, I got to ask you, just because you brought it up, Clay, um, you're absolutely correct. It is impossible to know what is exactly going on over in Eastern Europe. I'm just curious. Have, do you got? Do they talk about it? Do you talk about it with them? Do they have other people that they can talk about it in this community? Uh, because again, like you said, they are not their government and it is extremely difficult to actually know what is actually happening on the ground over there right now in Ukraine. Yeah, I, I have a lot of friends over there. Um, I don't ask the players that. I feel like if they want to share, they'll share. I don't want to be that person to put them on the spot or anything. Um, there's surprisingly a pretty big Russian or Eastern European community here. Um, there's the Alexei's on Thompson Station, which is a really great Russian store that I go to. And they kind of had a rebrand based on the war and stuff because Russian might not be the 
maybe faux pas word, unfortunately, right now. Um, but it's a phenomenal community. I have lots of friends. Um, but I try not to get into those uh, specifics. We love hockey. We love our families. We love just the culture, the food in general. So that's kind of the things I like to focus in on. Just but but you get a sense that they are able to have a community and and with yes. themselves, yeah, right? Absolutely. Like they're. I would say okay. so. Right. Awesome. All right. Well, I just, I'm just curious again on a, on a human element, it's gotta be impossible to try to work your way through an NHL farm system and also be stressed about what is happening back in your home country with people right. that you care and love about. So I just, right. it, it's just gotta be crazy to, to be able to process all of that at one time. So I was just curious. Okay. All right. Let's get to much lighter stuff here. Uh, and obviously the predators lose five, four to Detroit. It's the first time they lost Michael in overtime the entire season. So they got their one point, but they finally, that zero at the end of the record is now a one for the first time. They then that's they they of course then they snap. They were close to not snapping the losing streak, but they beat Washington. Uh, the Ovechkin goal overturned, of course, another Russian Russian on Russian crime there with Ovechkin and Askarov. But the goal the goal is overturned at the end of regulation. They go into uh, overtime. They win in a shootout, and we'll get to Chicago in a second. But I want to I want to pause right there. Zero uh, for eight uh, opponents on the power play in these three games. They do get five points out of six, and coming off of a, a little bad stretch there, uh, they seem to have righted the ship a little bit here. They are still 11-6-1 in their last 17, so this is still a playoff team, and, and they sort of answered the bell after losing four out of five. Yeah, and that's kind of that's kind of what you're looking to see. You, had, you know, you lose to Dallas, you lose to Carolina, you lose to Detroit in overtime. Um, three, you lose three of your last four at that point. The, the win over Philadelphia was the only uh, victory that was in there. Um, and you just kind of you're like, man, going into this next stretch of Washington, Chicago, Calgary, Dallas again, Anaheim, Dallas for the third time. You're just kind of like if they if they get on a losing streak here, this is something that could snowball because that's traditionally how this team has operated. The face adversity and it just kind of balloons. But they rebound two nice wins against Washington, Chicago. I don't want to sound like that guy, but Chicago was uh, like if there's ever a game you should win, it's against Chicago Blackhawks right now. Yes, Connor Bedard is amazing, but. UC Saros held him with he, zeros across the board last night. Um, they're they're really a team that it, I don't want to call them a gimme, but they should be a gimme on your schedule. Um, and the Washington game that was very entertaining, and and yeah, the the Ovechkin non goal call was highly controversial and stuff like that. But other than other than that, you know, Ascaro played a, a hell of a game. Um, gets his first NHL win. Uh, Clay wrote a story about explaining the the no goal call and whether it was the right call or not, and and what was going on in that play because there was some confusion. Some people swear up and down that uh, Nick Dowd made contact with Askarov. I didn't see it. Clay didn't see it. A lot of people that I know did not see any contact there. Um, and there was the whole, you know, how does that affect the game? Take that goal off the board, goes into overtime. The Predators went in overtime and stuff like that. And the, But that that was traditionally, that was a break that would have went against the Predators, I feel like, the last couple of years. And that's something that worked in their benefit this year. So that was something that was nice to see. And, and again, I talked about the difference Andrew Burnett's made and just the, the system and the way these guys are playing differently right now. And I think we're seeing kind of a different mindset, a different mentality from these guys, where if they are up against adversity, they don't let it, you know, ruin the rest of the game. And it's something that they, they have been able to fight back, you know, different points of the season. They've been able to fight back when they have faced that adversity. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think the biggest struggles continue as special teams. If you can't succeed that way, you're not going to succeed as a, as a franchise. And so um, the penalty kit, the penalty kill is still, uh, a bit suspect, but it's been really good lately. They just started off really weak, and so those numbers are going to take some time to come up. But I think O'Reilly with Trennan has been really phenomenal. Smith with Sissons has been pretty great on that line. Uh, the biggest thing last night, getting a power play goal with Nyquist. Burnett said he didn't like the second period. 
in the power play, they had one good one, one bad one. But I think the entry point for power plays is the biggest issue and biggest point of concern. Because once they get in, I mean, Novak, Sissons, they all just kind of cycle it around. They really dominate possession inside the offensive zone. Just getting to that point is what I think what Burnett's going to try to hammer in on, on passing out as opposed to skating out of the zone and things like that. So, And, and to that point, I, I had my plus minus story up on Nashville Hockey Now. Uh, today, I tried to illustrate that, the surprisingly effectiveness of the power play on the first goal. Where When Nyquist goes to shoot, I tried to do still frames instead of videos to illustrate the point. All four Blackhawks defenders are in a, a little bit of a diamond shape in the middle of the ice. And then you look and there's Forsberg and there's Sissons and there's O'Reilly. All of them are wide open with no defender around them. If Nyquist wanted to, he could have passed it to any one of those guys and they probably could have gotten an easy goal. And that's what we saw in the second one with O'Reilly. And Sissons did a great job of screening the defenseman right in front of the crease and allowed Forsberg to sneak across ice pass over to O'Reilly, who was looking at a wide open net. That's the creativity on the power play. And it wasn't just last night. It's happened in the last couple of games. But I think that's something that we're starting to see a lot more of. We're starting to see Andrew Brunette's mind kind of uh, illuminate more in this in, in these power play opportunities where he's being a little bit more creative. They're setting up plays as opposed to just going out there and just trying to skate circles around everyone. Now the issue is they need Dan Hynote needs to do that with the penalty kill. At two for four on the power play against Chicago. That is four of their last nine. They've scored four times in their last nine power play opportunities against Chicago. But as you have pointed out, Michael, that is what they're supposed to do against Chicago. Now 15th in the NHL, 21.6% on the power play. I just think anything over like 20% after the lobby and Heinz years is like fantastic at this point. I think fans are happy with it. Um, but of course, they scored a power play goal against Washington as well. And again, as I mentioned, since the last time we recorded, uh, have not allowed a penalty kill uh, goal, have not, haven't given up a power play goal uh, 0 for 8 in those three games. And of course, again, five out of six points. A um, couple of quick stats here. You mentioned Nyquist. Uh, he's got a six game point streak that was on the heels of a nine game point streak earlier in the year which means in his last 25 games, he has had a point in all but seven of those games. That was a pretty good contract move by Barry Trotz. Uh, Luke Evangelista, after no points in four games, back-to-back games with a goal as he scores against Washington in Chicago. And uh, UC Saros, his second shutout of the season, 22nd career shutout against the Blackhawks. We'll get to the Blackhawks stats in just a second because, you know, that's fun. Um, uh, the Ovechkin thing, I'm going to go back to this just for a second because this is borderline batshit crazy uh he did score in the game it was his 829th goal <laughs> Eight, 829 goals uh his second goal would have been would have been obviously 830 he is 65 goals away from wayne gretzky and if you'd have told 10 year old me clay i am much older than you if you'd have told 10 year old me when i was playing like nhl 94 on sega that somebody would be within 65 freaking goals of wayne gretzky's all-time goal scoring record i i I would not have believed you, and uh, I, I don't know. There's there's Jerry Rice. There's there's other basketball stars. Like I think LeBron's now the all-time leading scorer in the NBA, uh, but nothing ever – like Gretzky was untouchable, unattainable, and for Ovechkin to be you know, basically two good seasons away from getting to Gretzky is, is borderline insanity. Yeah, and it's arguable the goal is even better now too. So for him to be executing at that clip for so long, I mean, it's been – well, not kind of lockout year of 04 when he was drafted. It's been almost 20 years of just constant goal scoring. It's just like the best pure goal scorer of all time, I think. And it's getting to be un- undeniable. Uh, the Preds 9-2 and two in their last 11 against Chicago and 22-4-4 four and four in their last 30 games against Chicago. This is not a rivalry. Although I will say, Michael, 
do do we need to warn Predators fans that they need to enjoy it while they've got it? Because Connor Bedard, 15 goals, 18 assists. That is more points than Ryan O'Reilly at 32 years old, who is playing his best hockey, arguably, of his career this season for the Predators. Uh, Connor Bedard is on a better scoring clip right now than Ryan O'Reilly, and Connor Bedard is like 11 years old. <laughs> yeah, absolutely enjoy it right now because, look, you got Bedard, 18, Colton Docks, 20. Uh, they have a lot of other guys. Kurashev's 24. I mean, Frank Nazar, Kevin Korchinski, like their, their farm system is loaded. So enjoy this now. Get all your verbal jabs and insults in now because once the Blackhawks are good again, it's it's going to be you're looking at prime Jonathan Taves, Patrick Kane years all over again. So rub it in their faces. Now you're going to hear, but how many cups do you have? That's, that's literally the only thing the Blackhawks fans have to throw in the Predators fans faces right now. So I say you, you go ahead and you eat it up, rub it in their faces. You let them know every chance you get, because in two or three years, those chances are going to be fewer and far between. Uh, That's a lot to throw in someone's face, three rings, you know, like, yeah, but then you get into <laughs> how did they get those rings, and yeah, we we've, we've discussed uh, okay. that ad nauseum right. before. So, all right, nobody I'll likes Ty- nobody. Li- yeah, I'll take a ring too, but not nobody likes Tyreek Hill. Okay, um, all right. So Yaroslav Askarov, let's get to him. Twenty six saves. He gets his first career win. Of course, have to go to shootout to get it done, but he does. But he plays pretty well in the shootout. Um, just I want to get y'all's thoughts on on how he's performed, and 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 Clay, we could start with you. Certainly, you can give us a little bit more of a perspective on his personality considering um, the nationality there. But just in general, he's kind of done everything he needs to do so far and every step of the progression to get to where he needs to be in the NHL. We're going to talk. We talked a lot last week about trading UC Saros and what does that mean? We're, of course, going to spend some time on the contract today, but just isolate Askarov and his performance uh, last week against a Washington team on the road, you know, on the road, gets his first win. How, How do we feel like he performed in that moment? I think he's been phenomenal. I think he's done everything that you want a young player to do. I mean, his confidence is top-notch. I mean, the the confidence and composure that he had against, I mean, his idols of Ovechkin and Kuznetsov, I mean, that's no easy feat back-to-back on a shootout. And he just looked like he could handle it every day of the week. I think for a young guy like that, a new culture, a new language, he's just really he's really embracing it. He's, he's all in on the North American style of play. And I think that's something you really want to see. I listened last week to the pod to where it might be some concerns that maybe that personality, he's a bit more outgoing <clears throat> than maybe the Pecorines and UC Saros's of the world. But I think that's great to have for a team. Um, and I, I think that he's really handling it well. And I think that Preds fans, uh, and personally, I hope that he's in Nashville sooner rather than later and that he's not dealt off or anything for any, any certain reasons. I, I want to see him in Nashville soon. Yeah, I think he's he's not quite ready for the NHL right now but i don't think he's he's too far away and you and you just look at the way he performed last year in the one game he played and the way he performed this year last year he made one start uh his goals against average was 4.15 and he had an 886 save percentage he had two appearances this year one was in relief of sorrows and the start against washington 147 goals against average and 943 save percentage and you just look at the way he's playing uh in the ahl i mean i think he's top 10 in goals against average there uh he's eight six and one a uh, save percentage around nine ten. Like the kid is, he's uber talented. We've all we've all seen him play, whether it be in preseason, regular season, whatever. It, it's just it's it's almost like it's just a matter of time before he's ready to get to the NHL. And I think that happens probably if all things if if everything stays status quo. I think by the end of the year he will be ready for an NHL role. And with Kevin Lankinen, we'll talk about that with his contract being up. Maybe next year is the year you see 
one a one b type thing with saros and and Askarov like it was with saros and rene a couple years ago so i my my first observation is just that there are certain goaltenders like okay so i met uc Saros first time i ever met uc saros he was 21 years old i was at the preds and pins like bowling preseason like like uh event that we do uh that they do in the preseason here i was 32 years old so I was 11 years old, 11 years older. I had a brand newborn child at home. Uh, I was recently married and I met UC Saros and I thought he was someone's child at the event. And I say that not to be demeaning or insulting to UC Saros in any way, but like he just didn't look the part at the time. Now, the second you see him on the ice and, the, and as he developed, of course, the thing that I've always said about him that makes him so impressive to me is his 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 um, lack of wasted movement? There is no wasted movement in his game. It is completely compact, extremely tight, very quick. Point A to point B, under control. It's always been the name of his game at his size. There are there are goaltenders that just look different, <laughs> and Pekarene was one of them as he became as he became a, a player in this league. There are certain guys at certain sizes that just you just go okay, I get it. And I remember the first time I saw Askarov in, in summer camp, in preseason camp, going, man, that guy's just different. And I don't think anything from the weekend's game against the Capitals would tell you anything otherwise, that that he could not de- he could develop into a top-five goaltender in the NHL without any question. Because, again, you, if you combine UC Saros' skills and Pecorine's frame, you might get a guy like this. And that that is just a different type of player than anybody else has normally. And I think that's kind of what the Predators scouts in the front office had in mind when they took him 11th overall. If you're if you're taking a goalie 11th overall, you better be damn sure that this kid is is the second coming. And, that, and that's what everyone said he was. And I think that's a perfect way to describe him, not just because he's playing for the Predators, but you see Saros's skill with Pecorini's frame, a scar of a 6'3", 6'4". I think that's, that's the perfect um, way to describe him because you see a lot of the, the the quick twitch movement that Saros has a lot of the same quick lateral movement and, and just the, the instinctive skill making that Saros has in Askarov, but you also see him make some of those plays that he makes that that Saros can't just because he's three or four inches taller and that's just that's just the way he's built. He fills out the goal differently than the way Saros does, and I think that's a, a great way to describe him because you see both goalies in in Askarov, and I think that's what the Predators saw when they drafted him, and we, we debated about this last week and. It, I don't think there is a real answer right now, but are the Predators better served holding on to Saros, locking him up long term, or pushing all the chips in the middle of the table and going on Askarov or Askarov, excuse me, and trading Saros and then using some of those pieces they could get back from him uh, for that trade to to rebuild? It's an interesting situation. Honestly, it's a good problem to have. Yeah, I, I agree. It is. Um, I think I'd prefer, like, hopefully less Drake in his repertoire off the ice. I just think Drake's really taking a deep dive and deep plunge. And I, I you know, if he's going to get all of his language from, from hip hop, just less Drake is all I would say. What play, what do you see from his game? What is the big, what is the biggest weakness in his game? I think right now the biggest weakness is his risk management. Um, but I think that also comes with not playing with the decor and not really having a familiarity with those players. So you saw a few times against the Capitals where he had a few missed passes. Then you also saw the long stretch pass when a guy was charging at him and you did a tape to tape past the Forsberg for the quick rush. Um, so I think just knowing when to take those risks, maybe that it doesn't always have to be out of the net and to kind of understand the, the system a bit better is the biggest issue. But I think that just comes with time and playing with the players on your team, as opposed to really being a, a game issue. 
Well, and that I I would argue that's probably baked into his personality and, mm-hmm. and who he is and how he approaches the game. And you're gonna have to I'd rather have a player with all of that personality and flair and intensity and then be able to coach it down into into a controlled sort of focus. I think if that's the best way to explain it. Uh right. again, risk management. I think that's more killer Mike and maybe early nineties hip hop and like less Drake. I just think the new album sucks. That's all. Um okay. So uh all right, before we get into the contracts here, uh Michael Gallagher. The gold standard is brought to you by Jaspers. That's right. Jaspers. How many times, Clay, how many times have you been to Jaspers? You can tell the truth. It's okay. I've been once actually, because it is across the street from the Tennessee building and that's where my law office is. And so I can't walk there. I should probably be there more based on the proximity, but to work in progress, just like Michael. I'd like to point out that the last two guests we've had on this, this podcast have been to Jaspers fewer times than I have. (laughs) <laughs> you're the host of the show i will take the victories where i can get them here's it's what not you my need to, do. to make it here's the deal clay i know i know uh you know you have a young family at home so you got lots of responsibility and very little sleep but here's what you can do is you could just skip out of work early you can just walk across the street you can you can get yourself a nice meal a nice burger a nice flatbread whatever is your you, you know whatever is suits your fancy a nice tall cold beer for like five six bucks you can just take the edge off there and you're good to go. Just Jasper's is the place to go after work. It's the place to go during work. It's the place to go on the weekends. It's the place to go to watch Preds games as well. And you'll never pay for parking. Uh, and here's the other question. Would you go more often? Last last week, we were trying to get Jasper's to build a Russian bathhouse in the parking lot. Um, it, would you go more often if there was a Russian bathhouse? I think we'd get some intrigue. Either confirm or deny that. I don't think it would hurt. If we've got a nice community here of of Eastern European and Russian uh, immigrants, let's let's build a Russian bathhouse. I want to go try one out. Let's do it. Makes sense to me. Nashville's got everything else covered. Like <laughs> let's let's get one of those. Go to Jasper's, of course. The next evolution of the sports bar. Uh, obviously, proud partners of the Nashville Predators. So go check them out. You guys know the drill. The food is great. The the game room is free. The parking is free. Uh, and of course, uh, they love the Predators. So so go hang out. Twenty one sixteen and one. Anything else you guys want to add before we get to the contract conversation about how this team has played the last couple of games here? Again, ending the streak. Anybody else you want to? Roman Yossi, by the way, scored his one hundred and sixty sixth goal. That that ties Shea Weber for the franchise league for defensemen so anybody else want to add anything else before we move on i think it's interesting to note that there are two forwards that are ahead of yossi in points and usually yossi leads the team in points for i don't know how many years so i think that's that's also a good sign barry trotts building a good team and brunette coaching them up the right way because normally roman yossi is the leader by a landslide in points and forsberg and o'reilly are both ahead of him in, in points there so we I go. Got- That's it. Go to Jasper's. Uh, okay, let's let's dive into the contract stuff here, and we're going to look at every single UFA, every single RFA, and again, this is sort of a midway season. I know we're not all the way to the midway point, but we're kind of close, and I, I want to look at who, it, like Barry Trotz has to have, if he is not dis- starting to make these decisions and how he prioritizes who he is going to go after and who he's going to keep, which is the in-house stuff has to happen first before he goes out and you know, if he's going to try to use cap space to go sign another piece or whatever, again, I, I don't think that's necessarily what he should do. But you, general managers have to have this stuff organized and put in place and sort of like you have to have like a yes, no board. <laughs> like, yes, we're going to go after this guy and at this price point. So I want to start with the goaltending situation just because while there's one other year on UC Saros's contract, I'm not sure you can plan the future of this organization. Lincoln, by the way, is off the books at the end of the year. Uh, he's he's making two million this year, but he's he's done at the end of the year. We can talk about Tyson Berry mixed into this as well. 
He is a, a, an unrestricted free agent, four and a half million this year. We've talked about Trotz maybe eating some of that salary in this trade discussion. So I guess, Clay, I'll start with you about the Saros deal. Can you give us a sense of what you think he would be worth if they wanted to go ahead and give him an extension at the end of the season, which could affect how they approach the trade deadline this year or even in the offseason? Yeah, I mean, Saros right now is definitely one of the better contracts in the league, obviously, when it comes to the goaltender market. I was listening to 32 Thoughts this morning, and they were talking uh, previously about how why isn't the goaltender the most paid position because it is the most important. You cannot win a playoff series or a cup without a solid goaltender. We've seen that year in and year out. So, but I, I think the the market right now is probably around Connor Hellebuck's contract. It just signed recently in October in Winnipeg. I believe it's around $8 million, I think is what it was, and I'll, off the top of my head. I think that's probably what he's wanting to get in because with him getting older in goaltender years, it's might be his last contract. So he's going to want term. He's going to want to get paid because you could see during the Ellis time and during the Ekholm time, those were all kind of team-friendly deals along with Saros. So he's going to want to probably get that, that comparable. And so that's kind of what brings up Michael's position previously is do you want to lock in a goalie into his mid-30s or do you want to start on the future of Askarov and, and on his entry-level deal and kind of ride it out? That's the biggest question that's going to face them this summer for sure. What would you do? Would you give him the $7 million for five years and have him locked up through age 34, 35, or whatever it is? Or do you think it's you think Askarov is good enough to either trade him or let him walk? I would sign him. I really would. I think that the NHL is moving to a 1A, 1B, kind of like a Boston Bruins-type style, to where you don't have a player playing 70 games a season. I think that that needs to go. I think that we're seeing recently with Soros kind of being up either really, really good or getting pulled in the first period is because he's just exhausted. He's played so many games over the last few years. And I think that having a Skarov on that entry-level deal will, one, help off, help offset Saros's higher deal and, and keep you within a, a good range. So I think that maybe 55 games is a max should be kind of a hard cut for, for goalies. And that would then hopefully extend him into his mid-30s, as many goalies are right now. And 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 that that essentially means Lankinen is out uh, is gone. You're not bringing You're, him back. I love Lankinen, but I think that he'd be a great trade piece. A lot of teams right now, like the Hurricanes, the Oilers, they're all winning goalies. The Devils. I think that Lankinen could be a phenomenal piece for them. Is that Skaroff ready to come up this year and be the backup? I think he could be. Yeah, I think that he's proved with his composure that all he needs is time, and you you sometimes you have to have trial by fire. And I think that he has the confidence in himself. And he's betting on himself to to do well. He's had a few stinkers in Milwaukee, like when Trotz went to visit him, he got pulled in that game. But that's nervous. What twenty one year old kid wouldn't be nervous with the GM in the building? But I think that being in Nashville would be good for him long term. Michael, you've you've talked about the overlap. Is that is that the right plan? Instead of trading Saros, you trade Lincoln in. You call up Askarov and you just let the new era begin on its own. If I was in charge, honestly, that's what I would. I, that's what I would do. I, I think right now he's probably not ready. But if you give him the next two months, you know, the rest of January and February, in Milwaukee, and then right around the beginning of March when the trade deadline is, and and you you call him up and then you trade Lincoln, in, I think that would be a wise move. Like Clay said, there's there's so many teams that just need goaltending, and you look at like the Devils and the Oilers. They have they they're loaded on offense. They can go out and they can outscore you. The problem is they have to outscore you to win some of these games because they don't have a goaltender that can keep another team below three or four goals a game. I think Kevin Lankin has proven that he can be someone who can do that. And you look, the first two, three years of his career, he was in Chicago. He was the starter. It was a really bad team. So his numbers look bad. But I think we saw as he's been in Nashville the last season and a half, 
Like he could be a starting goaltender on a team with an offense like the Devils or the Oilers have, and he could be a pretty good, like even I would even say above average goaltender. So if you if you want to go that route, I think that would honestly be a smart play because I think you give Ascar up another month or two in Milwaukee, he will be ready by the time the trade deadline happens, and you can start that transition now. And then to your earlier question, what do you do about re-signing them? I I think. I, I don't know if he's going to, I don't know if Sarfs is going to get Hellbuck money. That was a seven year, uh, $8.5 million salary per year contract. I don't know if Sarfs is going to get that. Hellbuck's also 30. Sarfs is, I believe, a year or two younger. But I think Hellbuck is just, just above him stats wise in pretty much every category. I would say five years, maybe $8 million a year is probably a little bit more reasonable. So a five year, $40 million contract. And if you do that, and you and you would they and the predators do what we saw what they did with Rene and Saro say in like 2017. Rene started 59 games, Saro started 26. If you do that next year and and Askarov impresses you in those 2025 starts the way Saros did, it makes that transition a little bit easier. You have Saros locked into a to a long-term deal, probably makes it a little bit easier to trade him. And it kind of washes out the fact that he'll be 31 or 32 at that point. Well, and and again, like um as I was looking at Colton Sissons being on a contract for the next 13 years, uh, I thought it was funny. Like the, the thing that David Poyle did so well was give somebody the extension early and and get it a little bit discounted, whether that was Forsberg, um, you know, the Cali Yarncrook deal, Colton Sissons deal. There's these deals that have been long. Even frankly, the Saros deal was a little maybe even under market value. Um, but you do have to plan for that. If you're going to be all of a sudden at like 9 million total, for your two goaltenders, that's that's a difference. You've got to plan for that in in part of the the um, the equation when it comes to you know going out in free agency or, or re-signing any of these players. Before I get into any of these guys, uh, we get into the UFAs and RFAs. Um, is there is there a Tyson Berry update because he certainly is a factor here, but it doesn't feel like that he is a factor next year. So the contract will be up. Obviously, they're trying to trade him. Uh, what's the latest on Tyson Berry? Yeah, from everything I hear, he, he's he's missed the last couple of games with an upper body injury. Um, Barry Trotz is working the phones, and I think he's right now. I, I don't have any concrete information, but just from people I've talked to, it feels like there's a few teams that he's kind of keyed in on that he wants to trade Barry to. And again, look, part of it is he wants to trade Barry to accommodate him to send him to a team where he could potentially have a chance to go in. But the other part of that equation is Barry Trotz has to do what's best for the Predators above anything else. So he's not just going to send Tyson Berry to Toronto for a seventh round pick because that's where Barry wants to go. So he's, I think Trotz is trying to figure out how do we make the salary cap work? Uh, I think Clay did a story, uh, Nashville Hockey Now, a couple of days ago, kind of talking about that. Um, how how do they how do they make the salary work? Um, how how does he, what, what do they consider fair uh, trade value? Because if Trotz is retaining, say, half a Barry salary, then you would think they would get a better draft pick or a better prospect than if they weren't retaining any salary and stuff like that. So I think a trade is coming. I I would probably guess, I'm not reporting anything here, but I would guess something hap- something happens within the next two to three weeks where Barry's on a new team. Um, but yeah, he's been a healthy scratch. He's been out of lineup with an injury. So it's just it's just a mess. And I think I think both sides are just looking forward to the day when they don't have to worry about talking about this anymore. Yeah, the biggest thing is the contract situation because right now, Matias Ekholm and Ryan Johansson are salary retained by the Preds. And so Barry would be the last one. And so like we just brought up Lankinen, for example, if he were to be traded, the Preds wouldn't be able to retain any salary on that if they retained something from Barry. And so working on that, along with other teams that are on LTIR, it kind of changes the salary cap dynamics. And so ordinarily when you trade a player, you prorate their salary. So for example, Barry 
is a $4.5 million cap hit. But because we've played a certain amount of games during the season, that'll be halved. But the pro rating is different when it comes to a team with LTIR. So there's whole, a whole lot of different nuances that come into play that it's not as simple as just retaining 50% and get them out of the building kind of thing. Yep. Uh, absolutely. All right. Let's, let's take a look at uh, the RFAs and the UFAs and we'll start with some of these RFAs and who in the, to me, this is the easier conversation. They are three bigger names. They are names that are probably more costly and they're names that I think, and I'll, I'll make this assumption to start the conversation that have proven that they probably belong here or are worth keeping. And that, of course, is Philip Tomasino. He's currently making eight hundred sixty-three thousand. Yuso Parsonen making eight hundred fifty thousand, and then Dante Fabro, the big one, making two and a half million this year. Those are their salaries this year. So I'll start with: d- Does anyone disagree that the three of those guys should not like they should work to retain all three of these guys with restricted uh, uh, status to bring them all back? Obviously, Fabro is going to be more expensive than the other two. But it, it doesn't seem like there's any reason, in my mind, after seeing them play. Certainly, Tomasino developing a little bit. Parson had a dip early in the year, uh, but it's come back a little bit. I, I, I'm not sure there's any reason not to have these three guys in camp next year under contract. Yeah, I think I agree. All three should be brought back, or they should at least be prioritized to bring back. I, I think the one outlier there is Fabro, because we've been kind of assuming over the last year or two it's it's carry or fabro there's only room for one of them and then it was kind of speculated that that's what's going on i think elliot freeman a couple weeks ago on the radio basically said uh barry's going to be traded at some point and then he wouldn't be surprised if another predators defenseman gets traded but we know roman yossi ain't going anywhere we know luke shen's not going anywhere despite how how bad he's looked at certain points and of this year we know ryan mcdonald's not going anywhere it's it's almost it feels like it's Carrier or it's Fabro, and I think Fabro's status is also contingent on what do they want to do with their, some of the defensemen they have in Milwaukee. Because you look, uh, Spencer Stastny and Mark Delgado are both RFA's too. Stastny is clearly NHL ready right now. Uh, Delgado, I don't think is far off, and and they you're going to want one or both of them playing in the NHL next year. So I wouldn't be surprised if Fabro is traded sometime between now and the deadline and you don't have to worry about it. But if he is on the team after the deadline, I do think you'd prioritize him because he's, he's not as bad as a lot of people think he is for whatever reason, the cool fun thing on Pred social media is to hate on Dante Fabro. And I don't understand it playing with Roman EOC. They're one of the, probably the pet, the Pred's best defensive pairing uh, money puck tweeted out, you know, the other day there, I think they ranked sixth or no, excuse me. They ranked eighth in the league and um, expected goals per expected goals against per 60. So they play really well together and everyone that I feel like hates on Dante Fabro, I, I just don't understand it. So I, I agree on Tomasino and Parsons. I think you bring them both back. They're both very young. It's going to be affordable deals, probably a million, million two five somewhere in there. Um, with Fabro, I think it just depends on the money. He's making two and a half million now. So if you bring him back, how much more over that two and a half million is going to cost? If it gets up to three, I don't know if it's worth it. I agree. I think that it comes down to Fabro and Carey for this season in particular, but then you have Stasny and Delgado coming up through the ranks. And so it really will come down to money because Delgado and Stasny are a bit of a, a cheaper price range on the qualifying offer being RFAs as well. Um, I, I love Yossi and Fabro together, but he's been, he's been sat out. Fabro has been sat out a lot. So with $2.5 million, he also has arbitration rights. And so that would be another one year and kind of, you could put punt it to next summer. Um, but it's all going to come down to a money thing. And then also even the, with the salary cap going up, 
you have the $3 million increase in Matt Duchesne's buyout as well. So all this has to kind of come into play. They don't have just free money this year. It doesn't necessarily translate to next year. And so I think that if you believe in Stasny, which a lot of people do, and I think the front office, the press does as well. I believe in Del Gaizo on the offensive standpoint. I think that you could let Carrier or Fabro or even both go and let those guys come up. It really just comes down to the trajectory of what Bray Trotz wants to do on the offensive side. What's interesting is it, uh, I mean, first of all, Kerry is significantly older, right? He's like four or five years older, uh, despite being less experienced in NHL games, uh, ice time wise. Uh, he's only yeah, did, two years older. He's only two years older? Man, yeah, I thought he's, he was, tw- he, he's 27. Fabro's 25. Oh, that's because Fabro's been around for forever. Um, hmm. right, so I think it's also something interesting to point out, too. Fabro skipped Milwaukee, went right from Boston to the Predators. And that's something that I think everyone's like, why is he not the next Roman Yossi? Because he was drafted in the first round. Everyone had all these expectations. He never got that time to develop in the system, in the Predator system, like Weber and Suter and Yossi and everybody else. It, so ultimately, if if there, if you guys think, because again, I want to get, I was going to ask you guys in this conversation, what you thought of the the pairings against Chicago, because they they mixed them up a little bit. And sure enough, there's, there's uh, uh, the fastest duo in the history of Predators hockey, Ryan McDonough and Luke Shen playing on the same line. But but Fabro and Yossi are out there, and it's again, it's one of the most most efficient groups they've had based on the metrics. Um, here's the thing, though: if you're not going to bring either of them back because you don't think you've got space, because as you mentioned, Clay, you've got the Duchesne increase uh, in the buyout, and then you've got you know who knows who else you're going after here. Uh, you've got to trade them both then at that point. They, like they they need to be traded before the deadline if that's the case. Like I know this team is in a playoff spot. But they are like Edmonton's coming for that first wild card spot, if not if not more. And you're kind of a big chunk. You're five six points back of that top tier in your division. I, I don't I don't want this team tricking itself into thinking it's going to win a championship this year. And I think Carrier and Fabro, you you can't afford to let them walk. I mean, Carrier is the unrestricted version of this, but like you can't afford to let them walk in the postseason, in the off season, and not get something back for them now. While while they might be valuable to somebody. Right. I think it's an internal competi- competition between Carrier and Fabro right now. We're, we're very well known with Barry Tross's style of keeping players longer than they be, most people want them to be in, in Milwaukee. But under the current trajectory, I think that the Predators front office is pleasantly surprised at the performance this year and that they would say that they're ahead of schedule. And so maybe keeping Stas, even if they think that he's ready, keep him in Milwaukee for a little bit longer. Even Delgado, they might think he's ready, but might need to marinate a bit more in, in Milwaukee keep him down there and maybe one of them rotate in and out like they have this year. And I, I think it's an internal competition, especially Burnett sitting Favreau multiple times. He might not think that he fits in with the fast paced offensive system. Everything's Carrier does. Maybe that's why he's been putting him with the OC more to kind of have more offensive zone starts and then have McDonough and Shen, like you said, they have more defensive zone start. And so it's really who fits best with the system and not always who might be the best player in your eyes, if that makes sense. So uh, three three million dollars. Are you bringing each of them back at three million dollars a year? No. No. How, Fabro and Carrier. Who is who is on this roster when camp opens up next year? I think Fabro because of the arbitration rights. You can, if you can't negotiate Carrier to a lower deal based on metrics, because he has more negotiating power to have other teams. But with the RFA. You can have him for one more year with arbitration, or you can match any offer he gets on the open market. And so if he's not traded, I say Fabro. <clears throat> I I think it's Carrier, but for all the reasons that Clay just mentioned, it should be Fabro. 
He's younger. He's quicker. I just, I, I like his game better, but I've spoken to some people close to the team that have said that Fabro's kind of had this falling out with the team because they feel like Carrier is better suited to run the system Andrew Burnett wants to run than, than, than Fabro is. And there, there's some legitimate le, legitimacy to that. I mean, I think Fabro leads the team in, in defensive zone turnovers and turnovers in general. He's had some issues with that stuff. Um, but I, I just I feel like he's two years younger. He has he has more offensive upside. He has more upside as a defenseman in general. So if it were me making the call, I would pick Fabro over Carrier. But I just I just have a sneaking suspicion that Carrier is going to be here and Fabro is going to be the one out. Mm-hmm. Well, Fabro might be worth more at the deadline. So if they're trying to trade a piece, that might be the reason that, why he that is he true. Might, he might be back. Yeah. And then if you can get your earlier point, both of their trade values are probably never going to be higher than they are right now. Not that they're astronomically higher right now anyway, but they're probably not going to be higher than they are right now. So if you're not sold on either one of them and you think Stastny and Delgaizo would be playing better on your, on your NHL roster than, than Carrier and Fabro, then I would say trade both of them at the deadline, get back pieces, draft picks, whatever you can. Cause you have two guys, hell you have four guys. I would throw Adam Willsby and Jake Livingstone in there too. You have four defensemen in Milwaukee that can step into your NHL lineup right now and hold their own. Tomasino and Parson in, um, there's also a handful of other guys that we're going to talk about that are unrestricted free agents. Has any one of these guys earned a longer term deal, like more than three years? Like, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure I can find one that has. So we're kind of talking about bridge deals essentially for every single one of these guys, right? Carson and Ben, but I think he just has one more level that he can get to. I mean, the control that he has with the puck, the skill he has in the corners, but just making that extra move to the net is what he's missing. I think he can be a really top goal scorer. But I agree. I think they need to throw on kind of prove it deals going into the summer. Give it, give me the ballpark for those two guys, Tomasino and Parson. Probably right around a million for both of them, because it's going to be the qualifying offer thing. So again, the arbitration rights, I'd say maybe two years at rough, right around a million. Michael, are you are you satisfied with those two numbers for those two players? Yeah, I think that's fair. If anything, Parson maybe has a little bit more of an argument for like 1.25 if you're splitting hairs just because they have him playing all three forward positions. They have him up and down the lineup. He's asked to do more. Tomasino's been healthy scratch a lot. I think the expectations are higher for for Parson than they are for Tomasino, but I I certainly don't think any more than 1.25, but I think right around a million is is a fair market value for, for both of those guys. And if you can lock both of those guys up for two or three years at a million dollars, I think if you're trots, you take it. All right, so the unrestricted free agents, not not one of these guys is a key piece, which is the good news for the salary situation for the Predators moving forward. All their key pieces are largely locked up for the future, at least for the next for next season as well. Uh, Yakov Trenin is the largest piece at one point seven million dollars this year. Uh, I, 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 you know, Tommy Novak at eight hundred thousand dollars is an unrestricted free agent. I imagine he's in for a nice little pay raise. Uh, the other names are Michael McCarron, Kiefer Sherwood, and your favorite player, Michael Cole Smith. Uh, like these guys are not proven long-term sustainable 82 games a year players. So if you want to make Tommy Novak feel good, I think you could overpay him here. Uh, I, I don't know what to make of Yakov Trenin at that price point. I think that's what he's worth. I don't know if you can go too much higher than that, but how do we feel about these, these five unrestricted forwards that are going to be off the books at the end of the year? They've got to decide who to bring back next year. I think Trenin... I've heard so many people be like, let him go, bring him back. I think there's a lot of people that are divided on him because he is, he doesn't bring a lot of goal scoring. He's not really a big points producer. He's basically there to be your grit and sandpaper guy, to be your physical presence, uh, block some shots, 
Although he has he has scored some scored some really nice goals, and he's he's been on a he's had you know some streaks this year. Um, I think Novak is probably the the crown jewel of of your UFA class. You definitely want to bring him back. Um, before his injury, he showed that he could handle being a top six center. He's playing really well. I think he elevated Luke Evangelista and Kiefer Sherwood to a degree as well. Um, I think McCarron and Smith. I think they both have honestly. And as much as it pains me to say it, like I think they've they've earned themselves another contract next year, and especially if you're talking about Philip Tomasino and and needing him to be a success. I, I think he has to be playing next to Michael McCarron. I would even throw maybe Yakov Trenin in there too. But Tomasino has played his best hockey when Michael McCarron has been his center. I don't know what it is about those two, but they just feed off each other. You throw Trenin on that line, and that line the last two games has played really well. Cole Smith on that line, that line has played really well. So I think if you're going, if you want Philip Tomasino to succeed, you're probably going to need Michael McCarron around for another year or two to help him do that. And if you're not going to play him in the top six, and he's going to be relegated to the bottom six, like you need two of those guys, McCarron, um, Trennan, and Smith, to be on a line with Tomasino. So I think all those guys, there's there's a really good case for all of them being brought back. But I think if you overpay for a guy, it's it's probably Novak. I don't know how high you're willing to go if you want to pay him. I think Forsberg's second contract before he got his big extension was right around six million a year. I don't think he's quite there, but I think four and a half million, five million a year, maybe. Um, there's, there's five a million lot. a year for Tommy Novak. There's been a lot of talk that pe- that teams are willing to go out there and offer that kind of money for Novak because of of the fact that they think that he's a top six center and he's being underused on the Preds roster. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I, I agree with a lot that Michael just said. I think that all five of them have a place on the team. I personally just want to throw it out there. I wouldn't personally pay him five million. I'd probably okay. go three. But I've I've heard rumblings that teams would be lining up to give him four and a half, five million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's kind of uh two classes of UFAs here. So I think Trenton and Novak, I would bring both of them back. So the 1.7 number was two years. It was granted by a neutral arbiter two years ago. So I think staying around in that range is probably fine. Um he brings a lot of grit to the team that I think this Preds team is needing. I liked the line last night, like you said, with uh, on Tom, with Tomasino and McCarron. And I really like him with O'Reilly and the PK. I think they've been really good mixed together. When it comes to Novak, I know that he's definitely going to be using Cody Glasses 2.5 times 2 as a comparable. So at least get that. That's going to be the minimum for him because I think that he's really excelled in that two-center. I know it was a big rivalry between them over the summer about who's going to have that second line. But then Glass got injured. He's now been scratched multiple times this season and a lot recently. I think Novak's kind of earned that. So I'd say at least three is probably what he's going to be targeting, another bridge deal. And then I think that McCarron, Smith, and Sherwood, on their own, they don't bring much. But I think just that whole group together brings this Preds team together, if that makes sense. McCarron is a huge locker room presence. Sherwood brings that young feistiness. Smith on the PK with Sissons has gotten – probably more shorthanded chances than I've ever seen um, before. And so I think that they, they all vibe well together. So around league minimum, maybe at a million, if I bring them up, wouldn't break the bank for them at all. And if they wanted to walk and got a better deal, that's great for them. But I think a one-year deal, maybe two, but I'd say one year just to kind of keep doing what they're doing. Michael McCarron, huge locker room presence, literally. Um, I Look, here's the question about Novak then, because I, I was – I was in the two and a half, three million dollar ballpark as well mentally. So four and a half is a bit of a sticker shock for me. But if you, but I guess ultimately is, do you guys believe in his ability in a sustainable long term way? Because this is the kind of player that is going to get a big raise, but you could probably get a discount if you give him five years, 
And, and I, I, you know, and again, I'm not saying that's what they should do, but but ultimately, is this a guy who has is worth the extra term to get that price point down because he knows he's going to get a payday, but you want to give him a payday. But again, he did it for half a season, and then he's done it so far this year, but he's been hurt. So I, I think he's proven that he can sustain the production pace. But is it a twelve million dollar four year contract? I, I don't. I don't. That seems a bit steep for Thomas Novak, in my opinion. Yeah, I think if you can if you can bring the price of it down by giving him an extra year or two, then you probably do it. That's been the Predators' specialty the last couple of years is maybe caving a little bit on the term to bring the price down and and save yourself a little bit of cap space. But I mean, forty three points in fifty one games last year, seventeen points in twenty seven games this year. Uh, he was on fire before his injury in terms of scoring goals. It was almost he, he and Colton Sissons were having the the Matt Duchesne Philip Forsberg duel of a couple of years ago. One they would try and one up each other. So I think I, by the end of this year, I think you'll know you'll have a full, well, mostly a full season, and then a half season last year to judge uh, Novak on to decide whether he's worth it or not. Um, again, I'm not saying I would pay him four and a half million a year. I think he's in the the three three and a half million dollar range. But if you, if you get to the end of the year and he's played seventy something games and he's 55 60 points i i think that's at least worth gambling on and if you give him you know or four or five year 12 million 14 million dollar deal whatever you want to give it to him then at least it's not a crippling cap hit to where you can probably get out of it it's not you're not giving him matt duchene money and you're looking at an enormous buyout and ruining your franchise for years uh, i think that novak is, is a must bring back absolutely i think that especially with there being this year and then one more year on Cody glasses contract i think that you want to have that 2c locked up and I would give him like a Colton Sisson is one of the best contracts I've ever seen. So to lock up someone with a shorter term for a long time, you're going to get consistency out of is, is huge for me, especially when it comes to the center position, because all great teams build from the center out. And so if you don't have a center, you cannot succeed in this league. So. Well, I, I guess ultimately my, I agree with everything you guys are both saying. I mean, he's going to turn 27 at the end of this season in April, at the end of April. So basically at the end of the year, I, th- he has not proven to be a like a four-year, $12 million contract puts him in to, into age 31 as a player who's never like really been a full-time producer at the NHL level. I'm not suggesting we haven't seen it in spurts and that he can't be a second center. I'm just saying there's no evidence or like definitive proof that he, he is that yet. I, I don't know. That seems like a large... Like if you're going to go five years for $2 million a year and you can get a discount and you can go $10 million the Colton Sissons or Cali Yarncroke type of deal, then I think it makes more sense to maybe risk it. But you're, I think it's a risk no matter what you do with him, which therefore, of course, leads me to be like, well, maybe you should trade him at the deadline. <laughs> but it's also not his fault that the Predators didn't call him up until he was 25, almost 26. So if, if he's getting to the end of the year and he's putting up numbers that are consistently online with the top six center, and he did it for you know the 51 games he was there last year, you could argue translated over an 82 game season he maybe basically has two years of production as a top six center so again it's one of those things where was he held back is he just a late bloomer is he is he over punching his weight class like there's so many factors that go into it i think by the end of the year the predators will know whether he is a top six center or if he's just having a really good run really good year and a half run or whatever but i think that's something that he doesn't have to worry about because if he's producing doesn't matter if he's 27, if he's 37, if he's producing online with what all the other top players at his position are getting paid, he has a he has a strong case to get paid what they're getting paid. This is this all this is coming off as me being anti Thomas Novak, and I, I am not. I, I think he, I am pro Tommy Novak. 
what what I find interesting is I'm big on statistical probabilities, and I cannot think of another player who got sort of a a five, a, you know, let's call it four times a pay raise, right? Eight hundred thousand to four million. Let's just use that for easy numbers here, and became a second line center at age twenty seven. I, I, I maybe there are maybe there's maybe all you guys listening can point to a bunch of players around the league that blossomed into a top line, top second line center and went and got a four X pay raise at age 27. I, I just, that's not a thing I can think of off the top of my head. Maybe it, he's just in his Geno Smith era. <laughs> it just feels like a statistical improbability relative to what the normal course of, again, I'm not saying it can't happen. I don't disagree with you, but I'm just, I'm just saying it's not his fault that he hasn't been called up until the last couple of years. So he's doing what he's supposed to. He's I out mean, on the ice. He's producing. He's the player. Like at some point, if the player was so good, he would have been up in the league. I'm not suggesting that the previous regime didn't make mistakes, Michael, but you can't, you can't you, like, if you're that good, you would have been up here in 22, 23 years old. You know what I mean? Not 26. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I mean, we could we could almost say the same thing right now about Igor Afanasyev. I think he's an NHL player. I think he should be on this roster, and he's still in the AHL. Sometimes there's just not room on the roster for for and a guy like Tommy Novak, who was looked at as a bottom six player, 2021 when he played 27 games, he was on the third and fourth line a lot. He was only putting up those kind of points last year, playing in the top six because of the amount of injuries that they had. So even you could even say he kind of backed into or lucked into getting his chance last year. He's been given the top six role this year and he's he's running with it and producing. So I think I'm not again, I'm not saying he is a top six center. I'm not saying they should go give him four million dollars a year. I'm just saying sometimes circumstances just work against a player. And how many times in different sports have we seen where we're like, wow, this guy didn't get a chance. And now he's like, where has this guy been the last couple of years? And turns out he's just dwelling away in the minor leagues. I agree. I think we have 50 more games to kind of see how the regression or lack of regression really happens. Barry Trost at the beginning of the season came on. It was, it was talking about how he's do a regression analytically. And so will we see that? Unfortunately, he got injured because he was on a really good start this season. I think the new system really favors his skill of, of playmaking and bearing the puck. He's had a few chances lately after injury since being back where he can't bury the puck. And so maybe that continues to be the trend as opposed to him putting it up. But I think that if he has a second season under two different systems, okay. producing as well as he has, with the line lineup shifts and things like that, that, that would definitely be due at least a three million dollar. I'd be okay with a Cali Yarn Croak like two and a half for over five or something like that. I think that that could be pretty smart. Uh, but you better believe in the sustainability of his game and staying healthy and producing. Um, so uh, he he could be a value play at that price point, or he could be a total bust at that price point. We just don't know. That's why they all make all the money and uh, we're hanging out together here. Okay, real quickly here, check the checks. Uh, knockoff Canada. Uh, Canada is out of the World Juniors. The U.S. 7-2 to winners over Latvia. They are into the semifinals. What do, does anybody need to know? What like What's the most important thing we need to know about playing in the Final Four here um, in, uh, in the World Juniors? Honestly, I don't really know. I haven't been keeping up with it ever since Canada got eliminated because Preds <laughs> fans really only care about Matthew Wood. So I, I don't really have a lot of information to offer there. We will have a story kind of uh, encapsulating Matthew Wood's performance at the World Juniors. But I think Canada not making it into the Final Four is, is the story in itself. Like we're used to them dominating yep. anything hockey related and and they just they just got bulldozed yesterday. They've won three out of the last four, I believe. So uh, right. USA is still in it. So they have a lot of good team, a lot of good players. And I think the biggest takeaway is Matthew Wood, just his composure being a 13th forward, a young guy, stepping up with that little ice time. I mean, he had a rocket of a shot against Czechia yesterday. Um, I think the Preds fans should be really excited about him if he can 
progressed to the speed uh, of the game. I mean, he's still very young, but I think it's very, very encouraging what he did in the lack of ice time that he had with a pretty good Canadian team. There you go. Yeah, I think All that's right, the uh, biggest takeaway for me too is watching the way the Predators play now. Is Matthew Wood's skill set translatable to Andrew Burnett's system? Because what I saw in the World Juniors is he's he's really slow. He's having a hard time skating. He takes big strides. Is that conducive to holding up the way Andrew Burnett likes to play? I think that's something to keep an eye on. Because if not, then then where do you go from there? What do you, what do you do with this kid? You draft him fifteenth overall. He might need a year or two of of extra seasoning in Milwaukee to kind of adjust his game to that. So that's something I would keep an eye on. Yeah, get those feet moving quicker. Uh, all right, uh, Clay there. Thank you, thank you very much, man. We do appreciate it. Where can everybody find your work on the Twitter.com machine? Yes, at Clay Brewer 10. And uh, Nashville Hockey Now, of course, as of course. well. You can catch him there uh, as, as as Michael as well. And maybe you might even catch Michael or Clay at uh, Jasper's over there on West End. So let's, let's, get, let's get that Russian bathhouse built, man. I'm, I'm down for that for sure. Uh, okay, go to Jasper's, everybody. Nashville Hockey Now. Sign up for a subscription. Go over to that uh, website. You get great hockey coverage for the Nashville Predators uh, every single day after every single game and a lot of great stories over there. So go check them out. Clay, thank you so much for hanging out. We do appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Michael, always a pleasure. Good to see you, my man. Happy New Year to everybody out there. Preds uh, completely own and dominate the Chicago Blackhawks. Enjoy it, folks. Enjoy it. Thanks for listening. We will talk to you guys next week.